And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. Luke chapter 12, verse 19 and 20. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts to receive your word and that your word would implant in our hearts and bear fruit that is pleasing to you. I pray that you would bless my words to be true and useful to your good purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Wealth leads to leisure. That's what we see. It was as true in New Testament times as it is today. The rich man of the parable, right, notice rich man, has a good harvest, and he hoards the gains, and he says to himself, relax, right, enjoy rest, take more leisure. Wealth leads to leisure. But the leisure, the relaxation that wealth would suggest is illusory. It's a mirage a thing that cannot be attained that doesn't deliver what it says that it will deliver on the front end. And yet, as Christians, I think we fall for the illusion frequently. There was a man named Theodore who gave up all he had and went to go live in the desert to pray uh, 1,600 years ago. And he said this, and I went, since I read this a couple years ago, it's never left my heart. Um, he said, many choose the repose of this world before God gives them his rest. That's a better thesis for the sermon than I could ever put it. Many choose the repose of this world before God gives them his rest. There are three illusions that I'd like to try and expose this morning. Three worldly parodies of true rest. The rest that God would give. Three parodies of that. The first... Um, It's based on a worldly attitude, and it's the thinking of what I really need is just more leisure and more pleasure. And the problem there is really with the word more, that it's an error by degrees, that um, some rest is a good thing, right? The Lord actually built in the Sabbath. So I'm not speaking against rest totally, but in terms of by degrees, uh, a godly form of rest that is modest and refreshing can become uh, immodest and slovenly. It's the difference, um, to use a picture, between um, relaxing the string on a stringed instrument so that it doesn't break from being held over tight and untying the string entirely. Relaxing the string we're called to do, untying it entirely, is a parody of rest. It's the difference between one or two beers uh, and four or five. It's the difference between a small vacation and just going away for months on end for leisure. It's an even, and the illusion is, if we actually do the immodest version of rest, the worldly version, it actually isn't satisfying, it's sickening, right? It's the testimony of everyone who's ever been on a cruise ship, right? They come back like, oh, I feel terrible, right? We didn't actually want what we thought we wanted. It's not the rest that God blesses. I'm not saying that cruise ships are inherently wrong. I'm just saying that's an example 
of how when we go for something that the world promises, it actually isn't what it thinks we, what we think it would be. Another illusion um, is sort of like the delayed gratification version of the first. Those of you who know me know that I'm not very good at delayed gratification. But it's actually just longing for more money, which is sort of a shorthand for saying, if I have more money, I can purchase for myself more leisure later on, often. It's the delayed gratification version of just longing for more worldly leisure. And this illusion brings an additional complexity in that no amount of money ever actually in itself allows you to rest. The goalposts always will move backwards. Right? The, the, you, whatever you think is like, well, if I had this many dollars income, or this much in savings, or this much invested, well, then I wouldn't have to worry about money. I assure you, that goalpost will always move. My mom, of blessed memory, um, used to work fundraisers for her hospital. And she used to come back with these, what well, to us as like a lower middle class family, were very comic anecdotes of these millionaires who, kind of their cocktail conversation was, Yes, if I can get two more million dollars, like I'll no longer need to worry about this thing. And I was like, what? The goalposts will always move. The third illusion is uh, sort of based on and built on these other worldly goals I've just mentioned. And I think it's how we think about and speak about retirement. And I know this might sound funny coming from a man of 36 as of yesterday. Um, but I think it's important for those of us for whom retirement is still quite a ways away to have the coordinates set right. right? You don't hope to just arrive at the right destination by chance to set the coordinates right. Um, and for those of you who are closer to retirement or already inhabiting retirement, um, I offer this as an encouragement for how you're stewarding that retirement. The first thing I think I want to point out is I think I, I detect um, a concept creep. The, a word that once meant, okay, I'm stopping from my primary wage earning has now sort of crept into, ah, now is the season of leisure. It's the way people speak about it. I'm not trying to, I'm not thinking of conversations in this parish. I mean, just generally, in the world at large. We who follow Christ crucified are never called into just some state of permanent worldly leisure. That cannot be the goal. It's not a compatible goal with everything that Christ has taught us. We are called, until our dying breath, to a lifetime of vigorous spiritual labor, which is not the same as working an 80-hour week. I mean spiritual labor, a life of prayer, of reading the scriptures, of fellowship, of serving those that the Lord puts in our path, kind of tying into recent sermons. I hope you catch that. But we're called to vigorous work, spiritual work. Most of you, I think, already know this well, actually. I've been encouraged by some of the testimony of some of the folks of how you live out retirement in this parish. But I've become aware of also another sneakier sort of sub-variant of this sort of retirement ideal. Um, and here I'm kind of, I want to be clear when I'm sort of going into like more speculation so that I offer it for your consideration to sift with your own discernment. So I don't know that what I'm about to say is God's own truth, but I think it might be. So I offer a few consideration. I have started to smell something that doesn't smell good in some of the phrases of, oh, I want to leave a blessing for my children. And that's why I'm amassing this great retirement wealth. Or more modestly, I don't want to be a burden to my children in my extreme old age. Carrie knows one of my favorite phrases is, 
Be a burden. Be a burden. But I think it pleases the, would please the Lord more to give wealth, like, like in the season of a good harvest, right? When there's a bit of extra discretionary income. It pleases the Lord more to give to those who are needy now, today, there are needs today, than to sort of put it into some ever-growing uh, financial nest egg that might one day go to children who may or may not need it. Charity is called for today. We, we don't know about tomorrow. That's the story of the rich man. Oh, you were saving up. Cool. Your time to die was today. Or like the we hear in the sort of uh, jaundiced eye of the preacher in Ecclesiastes. I've seen all these things, and they're a vapor. So offer that um, sort of a, your own critical reflection on the way those described motivators for saving up money might not be as innocent as they sound. And remember that in today's lesson we heard recorded in Luke, what caused the whole covetous problem that Jesus addressed? An inheritance. Right? I think money had it down from those brothers' parents. So I hope and pray that I don't fall for these illusions in my financial managing of our money, personally. I hope that you don't fall for these illusions as well. And I want to offer in the positive um, two words from uh, a great teacher of the faith, a man named Thomas Akempis, who lived 600 years ago. He wrote a book called The Imitation of Christ, which Carrie just reads over and over and over. She's been reading it for years now, and she shares with me these great quotes from time to time, and these she shared with me. Why do you look for rest when you were born to work? And in the context of the book, it means spiritual work. Why do you look for rest when you were born to work? And he unpacks that saying later on in the book. Echoing Theodore, if you seek rest in this life, meaning of a worldly quality, how then can you arrive at eternal rest? Right? The, the illusion, if you stop at the mirage, you don't make it to the actual oasis. If you seek rest in this life, how then can you arrive at eternal rest? The antidote to these worldly illusions is to fix our minds and our hearts on the real, the real rest, the real oasis, which is an eternity of perfect peace and contemplation and rest in the immediate presence of God for eternity. He who is without change, the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of change, to rest with him. Heaven, I'm talking about heaven when we die. And if you think about it, to sort of stretch the metaphor a bit, it's a holy leisure that we will one day have. And it's a leisure acquired with wealth. But in this case, not our own. It's the wealth of Jesus Christ. As we heard in Colossians, the riches of the glory of Christ Jesus. When he gave his life as an offering on the cross for your sins and for my sins, he paid an inf infinite amount of wealth to purchase for us holy leisure, which we practice in part when we practice rest and spiritual rest and Sabbath here, and when we actually shun a sort of worldly, immoderate, immodest, immoderate rest with the hopes of eternal rest still to come. In that vein, I want to grab my prayer book and close with a prayer. If you've ever prayed Compline from the prayer book, you probably have heard this prayer before. It's on page 63 of your prayer book if you're curious to look it up. 
Um, it's the third of the nighttime colics. And let me pray for us rather than just read it. Be present, O merciful God, and protect us so that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of this life may rest in your eternal changelessness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs>